Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bottom Up Revolution. I'm your host, Tiffany Owens Reed. I'm a writer for Strong Towns, and it's also my privilege to host this podcast. This is the show where I get to talk to ordinary people who are working to make their communities stronger, more resilient, more beautiful, who are putting the Strong Towns principles into action. I hope that these conversations inspire you and show you that even with really small steps, you can also do the same. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Peacock. She is a native of Raleigh, North Carolina, an education professional by day. She's been working for the past four years to reopen a family-owned grocery store in the Walnut Terrace neighborhood. That's a process that has required going extensively through a pretty serious rezoning process. And today, she's going to share with us what that's been like for her. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. I'm excited to be here. So I actually lived in Raleigh at one point in my adventurous life. I finished up high school at Athens Drive High School. Um, so I have I have some good memories. I ran um, long distance, lots of runs and training through uh, Lake Johnson. Um, but I'm not I'm not from Raleigh, so I'd love to hear about it from your perspective as a native. What is what is home like for you? Home is Raleigh, North Carolina, but but more specifically Southeast Raleigh. I lived in the Southeast Raleigh area until about middle school, but I've attended all of my schooling, elementary, middle, and high school, and participated in extracurricular activities that kept me connected and invested in the Southeast Raleigh um, community. Southeast Raleigh is known for being largely populated by Black families. Um, in Southeast Raleigh, you'll find actually the very first Black neighborhood um, and you'll also find other historic Black neighborhoods um, in the Southeast Raleigh area. We're going to talk today about the family grocery uh, store, family corner store that you've been working so hard to reopen. Um, just to set the stage, can you share a quick history of that of that shop? Peacock's Market opened in the mid-1960s um, and was family-owned and operated until about the late 70s. Um, it was then in, um, that my family leased the building to another family, but they continued to operate a, a small grocery. Um, Peacock's Market was known, um, again, for, for just having your convenience items, small groceries, um, not really a lot of produce, but it was also served a social purpose. Um, so while you could you utilized the space as retail. Um, there was also a lot of community and social gathering that was happening at the store. It, it sounds like it kind of functioned like a third space, like a place for people to hang out and kind of catch up or just chit chat. Yes, absolutely. So um, this started with your great great grandfather, correct? Yes, Floyd Peacock Sr. Okay, awesome. I can imagine that living in a city where your family family has been from for multiple generations and also open to business in a neighborhood. I can't imagine what that's like because I've grown up moving all over the place. But um, what, what was that like for you? How did that shop shape like your sense of home, family, and even belonging? It wasn't actually until recently um, that the store has really shaped the home and the sense of belonging. Um, after moving away for college and not very far, I, I went to Chapel Hill. I, I did... At, 
feel a little disconnected. Um, I didn't, at the time when I went away for college, I didn't have plans to open the store. Um, so I didn't really feel connected too much to what was going on. Also was being operated by another family. Um, so there wasn't room again for me to do something with the building or create my own business idea. Um, it wasn't until about 2020 that I really kind of used the store as a vehicle to deepen my sense of belonging. I'd been back home. I had really made a name for myself as a homegrown teacher. So I went through the Wake County public school system and then I was I returned as a teacher um, and I really made a name for myself as a as a middle school teacher. Um, and so I was I was inspired by the preservation of, of family legacy. Previously, I, I wasn't so much concerned about it because we, as women, sometimes focus on marriage and joining someone else's legacy um, that I didn't really think about my own. As I, again, started to think of ways where, like, you know, I have such deep roots in Raleigh. What, what more can I do for my community? At this time, the store was vacant. 2020, the store was vacant. Um, and so I was like, OK, well, now's the time. It's COVID. You know, what better time while people are at home, things are kind of slow to get this project started. It sounds like your experience as a teacher, what was that what really opened your eyes to like the possibility of like making an impact on the community? Because you kind of saw how you were doing that at the schools. Yes. um, Teaching, I always say, is was my first form of advocacy, supporting families, supporting students, especially students in Southeast Raleigh. Um, My first teaching job was at Carnage Middle School. Um, which is actually near the store, teaching really opened my eyes to the lives of children and the importance of community. Carnage is a community school in which, and and by that I mean like there are kids who attend the school who live around the school. So they have such a deep sense of community. um, And like you brought up earlier, there are places in community that help us you know, with our social identity, they help us, you know, learn. There are learning spaces outside of the school. There are places that feel like home that are outside of our homes in a community. And I could reestablish that in the Walnut Terrace community because I felt like it was so important for kids. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to touch on that a little bit more later, which yeah. I'm excited to hear about. You've kind of started to flesh this out already, but let me just, let me just set you up to do that even more. But um, talk to me about motivation. I, I can imagine like deciding to open a shop being pretty intimidating um, or just a little bit scary. Um, but what what really motivated you to say like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to reopen this shop. Tell me a little bit more about your vision and what you were hoping to accomplish. I'm going to tell you right now is I wish I would have had more fear. Um, so I think I went in, I'm going to admit that I went in ignorantly thinking, right, like we have a building and we have the reputation of being a store. So why is it that I can't, you know, purchase inventory and just reopen. Um, so I, I didn't have a lot of fear. And I, again, I was just motivated by deepening a sense of community um, and understanding how places, again, outside of our homes, outside of school and outside of work, you know, play a large role in our social, our social health. I actually thought it was easier than it actually was. And so I went in with a lot of confidence um, and very little fear um, to be met with with challenge. Um, but I think that the confidence that I had started with definitely kept me going because the confidence had to be diminished instead of built up. 
And I think that's what helps me really face some of the challenges um, in the beginning. Um, so the first challenge being zoning. Yeah, let's jump into that. So um, tell our listeners why you had so why you had to rezone because basically it might be a little bit confusing. It's like, wait, it was a shop. Why can't it just keep being a shop? Why do we have to go through this whole rezoning thing? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So zoning laws or zoning codes are uh, basically determine how property um, and land can be used within the city or a county or a, um, a district, a government district. Uh, our grocery store was open before zoning was like a thing. So it predates zoning and zoning code and laws. Um, so when we, sh- we closed down, um, we then had to adhere to the zoning that had been placed over our area. Um, and I learned that through, again, the help of, of some folks around the city who let me know like what it would take to open as a grocery store. We technically could not operate as a grocery store without a lot of rules and regulations that were determined by the zoning code. And so I would have to ask the city for permission to exist without some of those regulations that were put on us in our current and in, in what our zoning was at the time. And to be specific, this was this was kind of I don't know the right word to, to describe it, but can you explain like what it was about like the land? Like like the there wasn't that much land where like if it had been moved up because we wrote about this for Strong Towns and I remember reading that article and it kind of explained how like if the store had just been a little bit closer to the to the corner or something like that, it it would have been automatically considered a grocery store. Can you can you, can you explain the kind of the technicality around around that? Yes, the restriction was that in order for us to operate as a corner store, a grocery store, or any type of retail, um, that we had to be on the corner of two two streets, um, and that we had to be on the first floor of an apartment building. So we were not on the corner of two streets. While we are very close to the corner, there's a parcel of land between the store and the corner or the intersection of two streets that we actually do not own. So we are technically not at the corner uh, or the intersection of two streets. And then secondly, right, it is a, it is a residential property. Um, My great grandparents bought it as a house and turned it into a retail location or excuse me, mixed use because it was retail and it was um, residential as well. And so because of those restrictions, not being on the corner, not being on the first floor of an apartment building, we were not able to operate as a retail, um, as a retail space. Okay, so let's jump into the nitty gritty of this a little bit. So um, for our listeners, could you just give like a quick overview? I think you kind of said this already, but like basically zoning is zoning is kind of like a code to like how the land in a city can be used. Or, or how, how do you describe it to your friends who are like, wait, what are you doing, Jessica? <laughs> Yes, basically, that's exactly how I explain it. It is it is a, a set of restrictions, or not even restrictions, permissions, um, a set of codes um, that dictate how land um, and structures can be used. Had you ever heard of zoning before? Or did, did you have any idea of what, what rezoning meant before you started this project? I had zero idea. I had no idea what zoning was or that the city was involved in giving permission or dictating how land and and structures can be used. Um, But after I found out, it it made sense. But then it it, learning about zoning actually sent me down a, a rabbit hole 
about the history of zoning, public housing, and even further back to post-Civil War uh, freedmen communities. I got into, I mean, again, beyond zoning being, you know, the recommendations or the requirements to uh, that determine land use, um, how zoning had been used, why zoning became a thing, um, and how Black people have um, been impacted by zoning and other land use regulations. Yeah, zoning really is one of those tools. I think it's that's important to understand, like how it's used today and how it has been used historically, because in many cases, it's a good example of like how these types of technical rules can be used to sort of embody or exercise certain values and beliefs at a given point in time, um, which is something that I think is really important to think about when you're thinking about cities, not just what the technical, the technicality of everything, but also it's like, what does this thing symbolize? Like, what is it telling us about what we thought was important at a, at a certain point in our, in our history, right? So looking at zoning or looking at the width of streets as a symbol, not just as a thing, like, yes, okay, it's 39 feet across or whatever, but like, why is it 39? Like, what is that telling us about what we value, like as a culture? So let's walk quickly through some of the most important steps in this process. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about them as we go. Maybe you can tell us something you learned, something that was maybe really surprising or really difficult. So I, you gave me this, this, these steps in our pre-chat. So if I, um, may, may, if there are more that are important to, to understand, like, feel free to throw those in as well. But I think I have a, I think I have the basic list. So the first step was for you, you had to attend a pre-planning meeting, correct? Yes. I had to okay. attend a pre-planning meeting with the planning department, um, the city of Raleigh planning department. Um, and this meeting just consisted of me giving them the vision of what I wanted, um, and then helping me determine which zone would allow me to carry out what I needed. Um, and then if it aligned kind of with, you know, what the city had planned, so a comprehensive plan, um, I remember was brought up during our pre-planning meeting to talk about the plans the city had four or five years from now, and if it aligned with that, um, and kind of what was the best zone for, you know, like what, what zoning should I request? If I was going to request a different zoning, what should it be? Okay. What, did, what, what, what was the main takeaway for you from that first step? Um, that I was in over my head. Um, <laughs> I was on a meeting, right? And and just like I've done the entire time, I'm extremely grateful and thankful to the planning department, the city of Raleigh planning department, because they did, you know, take their time. If I had questions, they were, you know, responding, um, you know, in a in a good sense of time or like a, a quick turnaround. Um, I, I never felt like I was like annoying them or I never felt like there was a, a dumb or stupid question. Um, so they first started off using, right, like industry jargon. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not a planner. I'm not, I'm not into land use. So um, how can this be explained in the simplest terms? Um, and they were able to, to do that with me um, again, without me feeling like a burden or without me feeling the pressure of having to know something coming That's into awesome. this meeting. That's awesome. So, okay. So you feel a little bit over in, over your head, but you don't give up. You move on to step two, which I believe was the um, neighborhood meeting, like meeting with the local neighborhood. Okay. What, what was that like? What, what did you have to do there and what did you learn? 
Um, so you have to mail out a um, invitation to your community meeting to all of your neighbors who are within 500 yards of the property that's seeking a rezoning. You know, you send out the invitation and um, on the day of the community meeting, you basically introduce yourself, what you want to do with the property and take questions or concerns from the community. Um, during my first community meeting, um, we actually had a good crowd show up. Um, what I have learned is that a lot of the zoning process, unless something huge like, you know, a Bucky's or some other huge development is coming, you you don't get a lot of community participation in the in the rezoning uh, community meeting. So we had a couple of folks from the the community show up. I tried to utilize social media as well to keep. Um, you know, folks engage with the process because we did use snail mail to invite folks to this community meeting. And I, I thought that was uh, limit access for some folks. It's like checking your mail, it looks like every other piece of mail that you get, how could I really uh, communicate to the community that I wanted them to come out and I wanted to engage with them about this project. So I utilized social media, Facebook, Instagram, and relied heavily on word of mouth. So so what, what were some takeaways from listening to the community? So now the community is different than when my great-grandparents or grandparents um, operated um, the store. And we have residents in the community who remember Peacock's Market or Kojak's as it was afterwards. And then we have some residents who don't, um, who don't have any relation um, to the store or even know that that small building used to be a grocery store. So it was exciting to hear or it, was, um, it felt good to hear that folks were excited for the store to come back and then that the new residents who didn't have a history with the store um, were excited to have a retail space in their neighborhood. Let's see. The next step from there was to attend a meeting with the Planning Commission. Am I, am I tracking so far? Yes. So after your community meeting, you submit your application um, and then your application um is given to the planning commission and you have to go in front of the planning commission and do the same thing, talk about what your ideas are, how you engage with the community. And at the end of that presentation, they made a decision of whether or not they're going to recommend that the zoning request be approved by city council. Um, so I'm guessing the planning commission has a more technical role in making sure that your uh, what you plan to do aligns with um, other things in the area that you have done your due diligence with community engagement and that, again, all the technical things about your boundary lines and, you know, how will this impact X, Y, and Z? I think that was a, a more technical body for approval while city council doesn't have that same experience with zoning and, you know, boundaries. Um, the planning commission provides that to city council for them to have the final vote. Okay. That's really helpful to understand. All right. So, um, it is recommended to city council, correct? Even like ultimately? Yes, I had a unanimous um, recommendation to approve uh, my rezoning request from the planning commission. All right. So um, did you appeared before city council. How did how did that work once they recommended it? Did, did that all of that happen in a city council meeting or um, that you were at or did it happen kind of behind the scenes? Um, so sometimes it does happen behind the scenes, like if planning commission feels like they need more information. But in my case, they were able to provide their vote or their recommendation um, in the same meeting uh, almost immediately after my presentation. And the funny thing is about my presentation, I had watched 
lawyers, and that, that's who usually navigates this process. I've watched lawyers go up and talk about the technical things, like where they plan to p- place fireplaces and answering questions about traffic studies. And I knew nothing nothing about that. So when I got to the mic, I just like froze and I started bawling my eyes out. I was like so scared. Um, And then I got myself together, talked about my project and talked about the history and and what my plans were. You know, that was enough. They, They had some questions, but questions that I could answer. So one of the questions I was asked was, do I plan to, um, keep any residential? So do I plan to do both retail and residential or do I do I plan to do just retail? Um, and that was a question obviously I could answer and, and felt comfortable answering. But in this zone, I'm allowed to do both. Um, and so at the time, I didn't have plans for residential, um, but that doesn't mean that they're off the table now because in my current zoning, in my new zoning, I am able to still do some mixed use. Awesome. I know we, we've been able to go through this story pretty pretty smoothly. I'm sure this was not necessarily the most smooth experience for you. Um, if we had more time, I'm sure we could go into more of that. But um, there was a period where you walked away from the project, but then you came back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Multiple times uh, I've walked away from the project feeling overwhelmed, um, feeling like it just it was almost impossible to do without a certain amount of money. Um, and, and while you do, this is not a free process at all. You pay for the application fee, time, right? If you're working full time and can't get off, right, you have to show up. Um, if you don't hire a lawyer, it's you who has to show up to these meetings that often happen during the day. So the cost is not only financial, but um, there's a cost to like time and lifestyle. Um, and so there are times where I felt like I just couldn't do it. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough time or I just didn't have the, enough know-how. I uh, succumbed to imposter syndrome, you know, more than once with this project. And, you know, getting back into the swing of things was always baby steps. Um, I, I never I never came back as quickly as I left um, <laughs> to the project. But, you know, I, I don't think that matters. I think the coming back is most important, no matter you know, how slow I took my time to, to come back. What was that like for you when you finally achieved your goal? So when I was finally able to get the approval from city council, I was over the moon. I was over the moon at how hard I had worked the previous like three years and, um, you know, just the support I had, I had, um, I had from like my family, from my community, from my friends, that I I did what I said I was going to do. But that was short lived (laughs) because we got into the development side, which is different than the zoning side. So I thought I was taking on one project of opening a business when reality I've taken on three. I had to take on zoning. I've had to take on development, which meant like rebuilding the building. So dealing with the actual structure construction, design, architects, and then the business of running a grocery store. So right now I'm still in the development phase um, where I'm focused on building a team to make sure that our structure is sound and safe um, and, and you know, can has the capacity to do what we envision for the grocery store or, you know, third place. That's a lot. Hats off to you to, for, for your perseverance and uh, determination. Um, how did you grow personally from this experience? If we're speaking tangibly, I've, I've learned so much. Um, even in my presentation to city council, um, I made a joke that that I needed an honorary land use degree 
and a, a land use law degree <laughs> from some school around here, as much as I um, had learned from reading ordinances, reading federal, um, state, state uh, regulations, federal regulations, and city and county regulations as far as like what can and cannot be done with property, uh, what processes and permits you need to do this or do that, um, setbacks, things like that. Um, so I, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot. And I think that's the most tangible thing. Some intangible and in- invaluable things that I've learned is uh, that I've learned are that I am smarter than I've, I've given myself credit for. And that me not knowing something is only temporary. So I shouldn't be hard on myself for not having known something because information can be gathered, it can be researched, it can be provided. So just because you don't know something right now don't doesn't mean that you know you're in, incapable. This this process gave me a lot of confidence um, in myself. Um, this process also has been a reminder that what it means to be a part of a community. People are people are truly rooting for me, and it's not just the people who raised me. It's not the people who've known me my whole life. These are people that I don't know. Right, but they live in the area where this store will make an impact. And so they have they have made the decision to support me without knowing me. And that feels good. And that goes a long way as far as, um, you know, keeping me going um, and understanding the impact that this small. I mean, we're not less than an acre of land, less than less than a tenth of an acre of land, 0.06 acres of land, the impact that it can have on an entire region of a city. So circling back to to what you were saying earlier about your hope for this shop um, as it pertains to the community and specifically the children, like in five years from now, if you were to kind of say like, this is what I hope I see when I pull up to my shop, what are you seeing? First, I'm, I'm going to start with actually when I pull up, I hope that I feel what I want to feel when I'm in the, when I pull up. I I want to feel a sense of pride and a sense of community when I pull up. Now, what I will see will probably be, right, like some shopping, socialization, and hopefully classes, clubs, just opportunities for folks to connect socially. it is my plan to to run programs out of the store, including book clubs, especially, again, all centered around kids, book clubs, robotics, um, supper clubs, getting kids, um, eating different things and being able to provide kids with an opportunity to try cuisines that they wouldn't normally try um, because of where they are geographically, because of socioeconomic status, just introducing kids and giving kids an opportunity to experience foods, Um, but also the retail. So I think in five years, actually, the retail will be only a a small part of of our operation. And two, I'm hoping in in five years, right, we'll, we'll have to refer to it as the original because there's another location, or we'll have to say the Walnut Terrace Peacocks, or we'll have to say, um, we'll have to identify um, a different location based on a neighborhood. So not not so much the one on this street, but the one in this neighborhood. I also have this image in my head of like, 
kids being able to run in and be like, oh, my mom sent me to get this, you know, like where, where is that? Or coming in after school for their, oh, definitely, for their chips yes. and sodas, you know? Yes, absolutely. Just the nostalgia of being sent to the store. Um, and, and to me, that communicates both safety and independence. We want our kids to be independent, um, but we want them to gain that that independence in a safe space um, because we know that 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 kids will will eventually op- will navigate this world, this this world without us. Um, and so how they learn to do that. Right. We want that to be as safe as a process as possible. And I think Peacocks can provide an opportunity, um, not just for the kids in the neighborhood, but again, we're across the street from an elementary school. The kids, um, any kid that that spends any time in the area will have an opportunity to uh, gain independence and foster, um, you know, healthy social identities um, in our space. Well, I'm excited. I hope I get to come see your shop someday. Speaking of visiting Raleigh, my favorite question to ask our guests at the end of the show, if someone were coming to town for a couple hours or for a day to your, to your neck of the woods, what are some local businesses that you recommend uh, they check out? Yes, I'm going to start with my favorite, which is Jack Seafood on New Bern Avenue. Um, I grew up going to Jack's um, and when I first started going to Jack's, it was with my granddad um, because he loved to fry fish. And Jack's actually used to be like a, a seafood shop and restaurant. Now it's just a, a, a restaurant, um, but the food is delicious. Um, so I would recommend going to Jack's. Um, I'd recommend going to the History Museum. I have a degree in history and anthropology, so I'm always interested in what uh, local museums, um, this one is a state one, but what museums have to offer in different areas. Socially, I would actually recommend that folks attend high school basketball games. Uh, high school basketball games, especially in Southeast Raleigh, um, really brought folks together um, and, and really was a display of, of what Southeast Raleigh had to offer. Um, so I would, I would actually suggest attending a high school basketball game if they were in the area during basketball season. I love that. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and kind of walk us through that process. I know that um, the idea of, of, of advocating for rezoning might be one of the most intimidating things someone can think about doing. So it was really, really fun and really cool to kind of just hear you walk us through that. Yeah, good for you for not giving up. Um, if you're listening to this episode, uh, thank you for listening. We'll put links to um, Jessica's shop um, and the businesses she recommended in the show notes. If there's someone that you'd like to nominate to be on the Bottom Up Revolution, we'll also put a link where you can suggest a guest. I'll be back in two weeks with another interview. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.